Lead Town by the University of Arizona. Bear down. And um, yeah, we've been doing ministry there for two years. Jesus changed my life completely at a Chi Alpha group at the University of Texas in San Antonio. And my life was radically changed. I was in a Chi Alpha small group. Chi Alpha was my first interaction with the gospel. It's the first time I met a real Christian. It's the first time I've ever gone to church. And the first time I ever opened the Bible before in my life. And so Chi Alpha is my home. It's not just a ministry that I'm part of. This is actually my family. And you guys are my brothers and sisters. And I'm really, really excited to be with you guys. So, um, is it okay if I start with a word of prayer? Yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. I am so grateful that you have not left us orphans. I'm grateful that you have sent your spirit to be with us. I'm grateful, Holy Spirit, that you are present here with us right now. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond, would you soften our hearts to your word? Give us ears to hear, Spirit, what to what you're saying to our church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If I speak, I will die, but everyone else will live. If I stay silent, I will live, but everyone else will die. This was the dilemma of a queen in an ancient kingdom. For you see, there was an evil man in the kingdom who had come up with a plot to slaughter an entire people group. And through a network of spies, the queen was able to discover the plot, and it was within her power to save everyone. But she knew that to approach the king without being summoned meant certain death. So here's her dilemma. If I speak, I will die, but everyone else will live. If I say silence, I will live, but everyone else will die. So Everything that we're talking about today has to do with the mission of God. Okay? We are talking about God's mission and God's heart for Christians. Okay? I have a controversial belief about the Bible. I believe the Bible is inspired by God. And people would have you believe. See, before I became a Christian, I thought that this was just a book of don'ts, right? Don't do this and don't do that. Don't even think about doing that. But it's actually a book of do's. Do this and do that. The do's actually outweigh the don'ts three to one. So Jesus has much for us to be doing. So we're going to talk about what Jesus will have us do as Christians. And how come when I believe in Jesus, God can just rapture me out of the earth so I can be with him forever? What is Jesus' purpose now that I've come to believe? And there's three things that I want you to understand about the mission of God. First, that the mission of God is verbal. Second, that the mission of God is urgent. And third, that the mission of God is personal. Okay, we're going to get started. First, the mission of God is verbal. So, last words matter, right? Yeah. People will travel all kinds of distances to hear the last words of a loved one. It's almost as if by virtue of being last, they were most important of all. Yeah. Jesus had some last words for his disciples. In the Gospel of Matthew, he tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, teaching them to do all that I have commanded. We call that the Great Commission. In Mark, Jesus tells his disciples to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. He 
that believes and is baptized will be saved. St. Francis of Assisi, an old missionary, he took this literally. He went and he would preach at the squirrels. And he said, Jesus said, I got to preach the gospel to every creature. And he just started preaching at the squirrels. He turned around and be this huge crowd just weeping out of the God. We call that the missionary mandate. Yeah. Now we're going to read Jesus' last words according to the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 46, it says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power of on high. Praise God. Okay? In this passage right here, we have the what we're supposed to be doing, the how we're supposed to be doing, and the where we're supposed to be doing it. Okay? Remember, Jesus has us do a lot. Okay? First, he says, preach. Preach. It's the Greek word, caruso. It means to openly cry out, to make in the manner of a herald. You guys, you guys know what a herald is? Yeah. Okay? When Jesus says, preach, he says, do the manner of a herald, okay? You can imagine those guys, they got the funny pants, they got the trumpets, they got the banners, right? And they're going, hear ye, hear ye. Lord Parkour has a new decree. Or they're saying, So when Jesus says, make it the manner of a herald, what does he mean? He means you have to use words. You have to. The mission of God is verbal. Okay? There was, there was a small prophet, he had, uh, his name was Jonah. And God had told Jonah, I want you to go and preach to this great city. Tell them that in 40 days, I'm going to level the city and destroy it. No altar call. No worship music at the end. Okay? Just, I'm going to destroy this city. So, reluctantly, Jonah went. Okay? He didn't want to be there, but he went. Now, can you imagine Jonah... Okay, he actually got swallowed by this huge fish for three days. The fish spit him out on the coast, and Jonah had to walk all the way to Nineveh, and then he had to preach and tell the message that God had given him. Now, imagine Jonah walked up, right? Maybe he found a really busy place, because God wants the most people to hear his word. He wouldn't send some prophet to go to some dark alley where nobody would hear right? Maybe he went to a market. Right? Maybe maybe he stood up on a ledge. Maybe maybe he raised his right hand like this. Do you think that Jonah just used hand gestures to communicate? Like he was like Do you think he put on like a like a soft puppet show? Maybe. Do you think that he just like handed out flyers? Like the end is near, the end is near. He had to use words, right? Is there anything that Jonah could have done that afterwards he could go back to God and say, alright God, I did what you told me. He had to abuse words. 
because the mission of God at its heart is verbal. There's so much help that we could give with our hands. And there's all kinds of commitments that involve our strength and our, and our creativity and our, and, our, and our energy. But if we neglect to give people the living water that is the message of the gospel by which they are saved, then we neglect to give them the best that we have. The mission of God is verbal. And if the words of God are infallible, then his methods must also be infallible. Okay? In Luke 24, Jesus also tells us where we're supposed to do this. He says, do this in every nation. Basically, everywhere you go, you're supposed to be talking about me. And he says, what are we supposed to say when we go? He says, repentance and remission of sins should be preached. Okay? That, that first word, repentance, means to change their mind. Okay? It says, when you go and you go announce about me, you ought to tell people that they need to change their mind. Okay? Every Christian ever that has ever gotten right with God, myself included, had in some form of another this thought process. They went from, God is not as good as people say that he is, and I'm not as bad as people think that I am, to God is way better than I thought that he was, and I am way worse than I thought that I was. In short, that is called repentance. You change your mind. Okay? He also says this word remission. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached. The word remission means the powerful removal. Basically means you can be saved from all your sins. That repentance and the powerful removal of sins should be preached. So we're supposed to go and tell people they can they have to turn away from their sins. And that they can be totally saved from them. Do this in every single nation. And do this in my name. So, a Holocaust survivor retells of his prison experience with these words. He says, first, they came to the Jews. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the communists. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. This mission of God that I'm talking about is urgent. It's urgent. Okay? In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says, I must work. I must do the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Because the night is coming where nobody can work. In other words, there's a duty. We're not going to be around to do this work forever. Imagine that you were given an assignment to write a paper. Okay? Just another one, just one more. But the teacher didn't tell you how many words you're supposed to be writing, how many pages, MLA format, ADA, none of that. And he didn't tell you when it was due. So you're like, write a paper. Okay, like, how long am I supposed to be writing? Man, only the principal knows. I don't know. What? But you knew that your final grade was like, I, I need to write a paper. Okay? So when the teacher finally shows up and asks for the paper, you just better show something. You just better show something. Some doodle on your notebook. Something. Right? God has given us this great mission. 
The Bible says that one day he's going to come back. Do you guys know Jesus is going to come back? Yes. The Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for the way that we've lived our lives. We're going to have to stand for God, and I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. Okay? I won't be able to bring Pastor Jason in front of me and have him testify on my behalf that I was a good account student. I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to stand in front of God and give an account. And on that day, I better be able to show that I spend my time wisely. So, Jesus changed my life in Kaiapa, okay? I met a tall, ginger Brazilian named Fabio when I was a freshman. First real Christian I ever met. Okay, this guy invited me to a campus longer. He said, yeah, we, we get a bunch of guys together and we eat food. I mean, yeah, he's like, we, we eat food, we get together, we talk about God, and we pray for each other. If anybody has a need, we help them. And we bear one another's burdens and we worship God together. And I thought, that is the lamest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Who would do that? And then he's like, I'm making my homemade lasagna recipe. And I'm like, I'll do that. Okay. And he loved me. This brother bought me more beef cheese tacos than anyone else I'd ever met. Just to have another opportunity to tell me more about Jesus. I hope this sounds familiar to you. And Jesus changed my life. I'm going to tell you all about it after you sign up for Breakaway. But Jesus, Jesus really did. He radically changed my life. I'll just tell you this. The things that, that I used to love, those things now I hate. Yeah. The things that I used to hate, those things I would love. Yes. Yeah. And ever since then, I've had a burden. I've wanted to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Ever since then, I've wanted to tell people about Jesus. And ever since I started, it's been eight years since I've been trying to minister to people and tell them about Jesus. And I'm doing that now at the University of Arizona. And, and God's, God's being fruitful. He's being, he's giving favor to our tribe. Okay? I moved to Tucson by myself in January of 2021. And we didn't, like, we didn't have anything. I rode my BMX bike to Kansas. Nice. By myself. I flipped my bike upside down. I took a piece of cardboard that, that, that said, Jesus is God. And I put it on the pedals of my bike, and I just started talking to my God. And, uh, and God honored the tribe. God honored my meager, humble, I don't know what else to do, tribe. And people showed up at my house. And I started to lead a small group. And then a team came, and then they started to lead a small group. And then we joined leaders, and then they started to lead small groups. And now there's just, 50 of us getting wow. together in a tiny room at the University of Arizona, and God has been faithful. Yeah. Yeah. He has been faithful to what He said that He was going to do. Yeah. And if you neglect the mission of God to do things, you're also neglecting all kinds of wonderful blessings and promises that are available to you. Yeah. But I'll tell you this since I started telling people about Jesus, even some of the people that I've ministered to back then have already gone to meet Jesus. Or they've made life-altering decisions that make repentance almost impossible. And if I really if I really sit and really think about it, I probably wouldn't keep talking. You don't think this now, but there will be a last conversation that you ever have with a loved one. There will be a last conversation that you ever have with your brother, or with your father, or your mother, or a sibling. And then after that, what was said 
This mission of God that I'm talking to you about is urgent. There's nothing of greater importance than this. There's nothing that should have greater urgency or mobilizing factor in your mind than the mission of God to reach others with the gospel. Ari Tori says it like this. He shares this illustration about these guys digging a well and they're in this town and they're trying to bring water and they, they start digging to, so they can find water and one of the guys, one of the workers falls in. And the other guy is like frantically trying to help his friend and all of a sudden it just starts raining. And the guy is like, he doesn't know what else to do. So he runs through the town just yelling and screaming, asking for help, and people start coming out of their houses just to be like, what's going on, what's going on? And then the, he starts explaining that his friend fell, and it's raining, and he doesn't know what else to do, he's just freaking out. He's like, I, I, I just need somebody to help me. And people just start running out of their homes, and someone is bringing rope, and someone is bringing lanterns, and someone is bringing, and everyone's just pulling in to save this guy. Yeah. And then Auditori asks this, how is it that we move so quickly to save the physical life, but we drag our feet for the eternal? Man, God forbid, if there was anybody in this room, myself included, that just needed any medical attention, there would be like 10 guys on me like that. But we drag our feet for someone else's soul. That is never going to fade away. That is meant to be forever. That story that I told you about the beginning, that's a true story. It's a true story. It's a story of Queen Esther. Okay? If you didn't know, there's a beauty pageant right in the middle of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. And God gave this queen favorite okay okay there was this beauty pageant god gave this little beautiful jewish lady favor and she became the queen i mean just think about that the queen of the persian empire which basically meant the queen of the whole world and she's probably thinking man god loves me so much god loves me so much she made me queen so that I know how much I love you. God wants me to know that he loves me. That's what this is about. Well, she then finds out through a network of spies, there's this wicked man named Haman. And Haman is plotting to kill all the Jews in the entire kingdom, which again, basically meant all the Jews in the entire world. Killing the promise of the Messiah and the hope for all mankind. It's no small matter. And Esther comes to this like realization. She doesn't know what to do. Because she knows that it's written with the decree of the king that anybody that approaches the king without being summoned would be put to death right on the spot. So she's like, I don't do. Esther was really, really afraid of man. She was afraid. I'm sure like any of us would be. She hesitated. I've, I've hesitated before. She was a Jew, but nobody knew that she was a Jew. She kept it hidden. She was a Jew, but in secret. There's some people out there that they want to live like Christians, but in secret. And so Mordecai, who's Esther's uncle, is pleading with her, trying to get her to do the right thing. And not just think of herself. And in Esther, chapter 4,
in verse 13. It says, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, who knows if maybe God just didn't make you queen for yourself. Maybe God didn't put you in the classrooms that you're in, in the places that you're sitting in, just for yourself. Yeah. Maybe one of the biggest realizations I made was that Jesus didn't just save me from himself. He saved me from my friends and for my neighbors, and my roommates, and my classmates, and everybody that I wouldn't have the boldness to trust Jesus and obey His commandments. Esther finally responds in verse 15, says, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, neither day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She made up her mind. She chose to value other people's eternity more than her own entirety. And that's Jesus' command for you. When Jesus says, I will have you do, that's what it means. That's what it means. Okay? So, last of all, the mission of God is personal. Okay? The mission of God is verbal. The mission of God is urgent. And the mission of God is personal. Okay? So, uh, we have a picture we're going to put up. Okay. Those guys are my friends. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, about these guys, okay? That I cannot really begin to tell you my story without telling you their stories, all right? So, this is what we call a discipleship line. So, every guy that's standing to the right of the person was discipled by the person to the left. It was met to Jesus and won by the person to the left. Okay, so in this far right, the big guy on the right, his name is Johnny. Okay, Johnny Howe was just your average Sam Houston State student, okay? He loved to ride his BMX bike and he worked on a fast food place, just like all of y'all. No, I'm just kidding. Johnny, Johnny was what he would call himself a sandwich artist. He worked in Subway. And one day, okay, there's a guy that's not in this picture. His name is Josh. Okay? And Josh had spoken to God and said, I need you to tell him about me. So Josh is like, man, I better... I'm going to have to figure it out. Okay, so he, honestly, don't do this. But he's like, kind of watching Johnny, kind of like, trying to find the right time. I'm like, when God tells you to do something, you can just do it, right? But he, he found out he worked at Subway, and so he went in to buy a sandwich that he didn't eat, all right? And as, as Johnny is, like, making a sandwich, and they're walking down the line, all this stuff, he's trying to be like, hey, like, I've seen that you ride your BMX bike around, like, around campus. And a bunch of guys and I, we're gonna go together and like go to the skate park. Like, you should come with us. And Johnny goes, Sure. Okay. That guy leaves the place, sandwich, and the trash. And he's like, 
like calling all these guys, like guys, 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 I just told this dude we were gonna go to a skate park. It was no plan. <laughs> so now he's like trying to hit up all these guys and be like, y'all better, better show up, okay? Y'all better show up. So he's like getting all these guys, okay? He goes to the store, buys a BMX bike, <laughs> okay? Puts it in the back of his truck, drives to pick up Johnny, puts his bike on the back, on the back of his truck, and then drives to some skate park. Somewhere around here, I'm sure. And then, dude, Johnny tells the story. He said he just saw Josh just eat it. <laughs> and the concrete, dropping into the bowl over and over and over. <laughs> Finally, Johnny having some sense of compassion in his heart by the conscience, he went, hey bro, we can just go to a coffee shop or something and hang out, like, this is not for you. <laughs> But that was the beginning of the relationship. And Josh got to minister to Johnny. And Johnny was disciple. He joined a Catholic smoker. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he began to do the same thing that he had received for others. And Johnny went and he met my friend, Kyle. Okay? Kyle is just your average San Houston State student. Okay? He has dreads back then. He had dreads, angry, skeptical, rage against the machine kind of guy, just heavy metal, angry at the world, atheist guy. One day, he's walking down the campus mall and he sees these old guys, these Gideons, they're handing out those pocket New Testaments. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He gets one of those guys to give him a New Testament. They get into it. Kyle is like, give it to me. Like, I'm going I'm to read this. Like, I'm going to show you. He goes home. Starts to read the Bible. Convicted. Okay? Shows up. A few weeks later, he gets a Kyle flyer. At the booth. Okay? Good words, y'all. Right? <laughs> he gets a Kayapa flyer, shows up to a Kayapa service the week of, like the week of Easter. Eli Gotro is speaking on salvation. How he gives his life to Jesus. As he's walking out of the service, meets Johnny Hawk. Okay? Jason told me today that sometimes when people meet, there's like bells in heaven that they're rejoicing that these two were meant to meet all along. When John Malk met Kyle Goldberg, there were bells. There were bells in heaven. Okay? And the same thing happened. Okay? Kyle got saved. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, he got a burden for lost people because he just had the heart of God. When you love God, you love the things that he loves. You can't help it. So Kyle went, and he did the same thing for someone else. Okay? These two guys together now, brothers. Johnny goes, man, there's no campus ministry in San Antonio. Like, what are we going to do? And he's like, I, I think I'm going to go start Kyle on the University of Texas in San Antonio. And Kyle, Kyle walks up to Eli, and he goes, Eli! I don't know what I'm going to do. My best friend is leaving me. Like, he's going off. Like, he's my small completer. Like, how am I going to walk with God? Like, all this stuff. And he, like, goes, I believe in you. I think that you should join me. And Kyle goes, sell everything. <laughs> Packs a U-Haul with Johnny, gets on the road, starts driving towards the border, stops in San Antonio, best spot for Mexican food in all of Texas. And then they, come on guys, you know. Come on, and he's serious. And they stop there, and they just start loving on people, okay? Kyle goes, and he met my friend, Craig Ritchie. Okay? Craig was selling pot at UTSA in Kyle. It's true, it's true. And Kyle just loved on that brother. He was just like, man, why don't you get some of this on the Holy Spirit Bible study in my house? 
And he went. And God did it in him too. And he got saved. He believed in the Lord Jesus. He was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he didn't tell us about God. You know why? Because what God does in you, praise God. I knew it was the right place. What God does in you, He wants to do through you. So Craig went and he started leading, building a small group, and he met my friend Fabio, international student from Brazil, Sao Paulo, moved to America, no understanding about God, addicted to all forms of sexual immorality, but Jesus set him free. He set him free in a guy out of a small group. Same thing. Radically changed, madly in love with the Bible. Madly. Obsessively. Got baptized, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Fabio put his hand to the plow, and then he met me. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And I was just a dumb kid from Mexico. Okay, I like I told you, I never. I, I'm surprised that I how little I knew about Christianity. I didn't know anything. I thought guy on the cross got it. Nothing. I didn't know anything. I'm like perplexed. I didn't. I never heard. No one had ever told me. It's true. And Fabio just loved on me. He loved on me, which means he told me the truth. Because yeah. a real friend tells you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And God, God did it in me. I had a radical experience with God in my college dorm. I was going to cop a smoker on a Tuesday night. Going to a half of service on a Thursday night. And on a Friday and on a Saturday, I was just getting hammered. Partying, smoking, drinking. But I kept hearing, coming to these services, sat in an auditorium, probably just like this one. And on the left corner, that was our spot. And I just sat there and I heard people tell me about God and how passionate they were about God. And I was like, oh my head. And God showed up in my classroom. One day, I partied so hard, I was hangover for two days. I didn't sleep for two days. And alcohol poisoning, all kinds of stuff. And I finally prayed to God for the very first time. And I said, God, would you hold me to fall asleep? And he did. Which is not in the way that I was expecting. <laughs> he showed up in my classroom. And he changed my life. I knew that he was God. And I knew that he was right to worship. And I knew that I was, if I didn't change my life, I was going to go to hell. And I got out. I called Fabio. I ran out of my apartment in my underwear. And I called Fabio at 3 in the morning. And by the grace of God, he picked up the phone. And he told me the same things he told me before. He was like, yeah, repent and believe. You're God. He said this a hundred times over. Except this time I was like, dear heavens, what can we do to be saved? <laughs> and I was just listening. I was listening. And he prayed with me. And he asked me to go back into my dorm and pray there. And I was like, are you kidding me? God is there. Ain't no way I'm going back in there. <laughs> and I just stood at the edge of my door. Afraid to go into the deep darkness of this to face God. And I just got on my knees and I just asked Jesus and I said, Lord, I said, God, if you're God, then you can take me. And I picked up all my drugs and I just flushed them out the toilet. Yeah. And that was it. That was it for me. I don't even know what happened, but Jesus gave me a burden to tell others about God, like immediately, immediately. And I started talking to people about God, and I saw this guy sitting outside of a table at Starbucks, and I was just so zealous, and I was so young and so aggressive, <laughs> and I was just like, dude, do you know what I was about sin? <laughs> but I 
there, and this brother just took it, and he's just like, okay, yeah. And that guy was James. And James was like this backslidden church kid that just had totally forgotten. Somehow, again, bells ringing. Like the bright, aggressive Mexican kid to save this other Mexican kid. <laughs> and that aggressiveness is like what he needed in his life. He was just like, God, like, this brother is totally misquoting scripture, but he's so much more passionate about God than I am. <laughs> and James and I became best friends. And he came to Smoker. And he was baptized. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he began to tell others about Jesus. Yeah. And then he went and he met my friend Diego. And he did the same thing. Because what God does in you, he wants to do through you. Okay? Here's a cool thing about, about this. I mean, there's a lot of good things about this picture, okay? But Johnny, Johnny is the Kayaka director at the University of Texas in San Antonio. And like, father to like nine other Kayaka plants. Kyle is a pastor and... San Antonio, Texas, and he's right now he's overseeing a ministry class that is training hundreds of church workers. Craig moved to New York to plant the very first Chi Alpha in the state of New York. Fabio is loving God and loving the marketplace in San Antonio. I'm yours truly at the University of Arizona. James beat me to the mission field and moved it to start Chi Alpha at Auburn University in Alabama. Diego is, is part of the school of ministry that Kyle leads, and he's going to be a church planner. Okay? Because, I'm just part of this wonderful, wonderful life. Because you also reproduce after your own time. You, you're going to reproduce what you like. Okay, I see my I see my guys. I see my guys in Arizona now, and I see things that I don't like about them, and I don't like them because I don't. That's me. I'm frustrated with them because I'm frustrated with myself. Okay, so now you know that the mission of God is personal. That means the mission of God is for you. Okay, it's not just for the guys up here on stage. Okay, it's not for the guys with the reverend behind their name. Okay, there's some guy in some Bible education. I started talking to people about God when I read the Gospel of Matthew. That was it, okay? I sat in a class where they tried to teach me how to be effective, and Kyle said, open up to First Timothy, and I said, Who, who's Timothy? <laughs> like, I didn't know anything, okay? So there's no excuse yeah. not to put your head to the plow. Yeah. So you're actually responsible for what you know. Yeah. You're actually responsible for the last five weeks of Thursday nights and the last five weeks of small groups. You are responsible to have done something with the content and the effort that was shared with you. So now, you have a responsibility to go and ask your small group leader, how can I help them? Okay? I've seen you in the past five weeks, okay, this person has most likely laid down their life for you, they're holding their homes, they're making meals, they're writing lessons, they're praying for you. Now, you have a responsibility to ask, yo, how can I help it? Okay? It can start with just chips and salsa, but you better do something, okay? You better do something Tonight, yeah. tonight you better say, how am I helping? I gotta do something. And you just keep asking that, and that's all I did. I just kept asking, how can I help, how can I help? And now we're just in Arizona, I kept asking, how can I help? And like, you can help over there. <laughs> that's how I ended up. So just keep asking that. Just keep asking, how can I help? Okay, so, um, I'm just gonna tell you one more story. Okay, what am I doing? Alright, so you guys know who William Booth is. Okay, if you don't know, go home. 
Google Hollywood, all right? This guy looks just like a dwarf from The Hobbit. Okay, old guy, big white beard. And he is the guy that started the Salvation Okay, not some thrift The missionary soul winning movement. Okay? And this guy, this guy tells this story, okay? He says there was a pirate. A whole ship full of, full of pirates that have been going out to sea for months, trying to get gold, trying to get plunder anywhere they could find it. They've been out for months, just like eating scraps, drinking bad water, and just trying to do everything they can to get as much gold as they can. Now, they're on their way back to England. They're on their way back shore. Their journey is coming to an end. Finally, they'll be able to sleep in a real bed and eat real food and enjoy all the plunder and all the gold that they've stolen and took for the past three months. All of a sudden, as they start to get close to the shore, the ship starts sinking. Okay? Water just gushing in. And now, all of a sudden, all these guys are like freaking out. They're filling their pockets with gold. Okay? They're putting in necklaces and funny earrings and funny crowns. And they're like, they're trying to see how much gold they can put on their person and swim and still make it to shore. They want to salvage their work. And this guy is just like trying all this funny stuff. And all of a sudden, just behind him, this kid pulls his shirt and he goes, Sir, sir, I don't know how to swim. He got inside. Without saying a word, he looks at the kid, he looks back at the gold, looks back at the kid, looks back at the gold, throws the gold overboard, puts the kid over his shoulder, and he jumps in the water. And he just starts swimming. And he's swimming, and he's hustling, and he's swimming, swimming, until he just passes out. Blacks out. What seems like a lifetime later, he wakes up distraught and disoriented on a beach somewhere, and he's like trying to open his eyes. And in a distance, he sees the kid, and he's running with help. And as he runs, and he can squint his eyes and barely see the shadows, he goes, look. This is the man that saved my life. And William Booth says, my greatest aspiration, my wildest desire would be to one day wake up in the shores of heaven and see one soul pulling Jesus by the robe and saying, look, look, Master. This is the man, this is the woman that saved my life. This is really a question about what is the treasure of your heart. Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And I realize I'm very conscious what people look like when I'm speaking. And I realize that when people don't have this common understanding, and I talk about how moving to another state in the middle of the desert to go tell a rebellious people about God that don't want me to be there sounds insane. But then I recognize the faces of those that have tasted and seen. And when I talk about that, there's, there's this understanding. 
that the best place to be is at the center of God's will. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to leave your friends? And everything you know to go by yourself to obey God and be with Him forever, why wouldn't you want to do that? Because this is really a question about the treasure of your heart. What do you love? What do you love most? So here's what we're going to do. I've asked for us to just have a few minutes of silence. And I want you to consider in your heart what is sitting at the throne of my heart? What am I eager to sacrifice for, to lay down for? Jesus wants to be the center of your heart, and he wants his mission to be the outcry of your mind. So, I'm going to pray, and you're welcome to get up and walk around, but you just have to meditate. You have to ask God, Lord, what is the true love of my life? Lord Jesus. right now.